Welcome to Parallel Lives. I'm Dimmer and this is my co-host Levi. Hello. Today we have a weird episode. We've got um, Rhea from Canada and Fox from West Virginia. They are not maladaptive daydreamers. They are just people that we pulled from a mutual server and they are going to be asking our maladaptive daydreamer guests questions. Today we have Rain from the Philippines and Halo from North Carolina. It's great to be on the podcast. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's my third time on. I guess the bribes I'm giving Dimmer, I guess they're working. They're letting me go on again. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining. This one was kind of unplanned. And uh, I'm, I'm just so happy we found people willing to do it. Yeah, it was very... Uh... It was very last minute, so thanks for joining everyone. No problem. Okay, I have ADHD. I'm very impulsive. <laughs> ADHD, uh, coincidentally, is highly comorbid with maladaptive daydreaming. Huh. I did not know yep. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I heard that uh, maladaptive daydreaming is a pause. It's not, I'm not sure if I should say possible since. I am not diagnosed with ADHD, but it can be seen as a sort of symptom for ADHD. I've what from what I've heard from my sources. Yeah, it's like a comorbid uh, thing. So if you have maladaptive daydreaming, then it it might be possible to have like ADHD or other comorbid stuff and things like that. I don't know how to do a lead into this, like. Have you ever even heard of maladaptive daydreaming before I like hunted you down? I know that one of my former friends with DID, um, they did, they had, they were maladaptive daydreamers. And then I had another friend who also I haven't talked in forever, um, who was like, who mentioned it briefly. And I was like, okay. And then I Googled it and then I got distracted. I only heard about it because of mental health servers. I had seen it as an option, but that's about my extent of knowledge. I know what daydreaming means, but that was about it. And then when y'all asked me to join the podcast, first thing I thought was the secret life of Walter Mitty. Like, first thing. Yes. Yes. I have not seen that. I, I Maybe I'm like the only maladaptive daydreamer on the left. <laughs> but, uh, but people, I don't know, people seem to think that it's pretty good, pretty decent representation, though. I, it, it was made before maladaptive daydreaming was a thing, so it's it's not actually about that, but I, I guess it works out that. I don't know much about maladaptive daydreaming, but it just generally been my knowledge. A lot of movies that portray any mental health really do a one-sided view, so... If I had literally not known anything about mental health, period, I would watch that movie and think, oh, that's really cool. I would want that where it doesn't really show that because like in my opinion, something like that, obviously, it would get in the way of everyday life, but they don't really make it out to be that way. It makes it really fun and happy. It's like I could see that there would be a lot of issues with trying to get through a regular day doing your functions and constantly being sidetracked by it. And the movie just kind of made it a really positive spin, which I like. It was a good movie, but I don't like how movies don't ever show the negatives or downsides to something like that. Or they show too much of the negatives. <clears throat> 13 Reasons Why. 
<laughs> true. I think it's different for everyone. People experience different um, quote-unquote pros and cons or positive and negative effects with different um, disorders and conditions and all. And hopefully through this episode, um, us maladaptive daydreamers will be able to give you guys some context and some information about our own experiences with maladaptive daydreaming. Um. Okay, so I find the idea of maladaptive daydreaming very interesting because I personally don't daydream that much. So just what is it like for you guys if you had to generalize your experience? How would you generalize it? Let's see. Um, all maladaptive daydreamers are also immersive daydreamers. So we have um, generally very deep daydreams where a lot of us are able to either visualize deeper things or create larger worlds or um, kind of hyper fixate on uh, something uh, in, a, in a deeper way, uh, to, to try to put it simply. And, um, and then when immersive daydreamers become, uh, when they become a little too addicted to it or it become or it takes up too much time in life or they start to, to rather daydream than do um, than like be in social events with others or things then it becomes maladaptive. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it just becomes that it becomes, it starts feeling so good and it starts to feel so important to us that we start, uh, that addiction kind of takes a hold of us in different ways. Now there also is kind of a gradient of how severe maladaptive daydreaming can be. Um, some people, it, it's, it's slightly severe where it just takes a few more hours of your day every single day, or you get irritated if you're not daydreaming or you're daydreaming instead of doing other things that you should or other things you want to do. And then it could go to such extremes where some people are constantly stuck in daydreams because uh, some of us are so addicted, addicted to it, where it starts becoming almost debilitating in life, where it's you're constantly daydreaming. It's hard for you to stop. You're addicted to it. It's hard to focus on anything else in life. And yeah, it's 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 a little bit hard to explain how it feels to somebody who doesn't who doesn't have that same addiction. But it's um, well, anybody can be addicted to anything, video games, shopping drugs uh certain television shows people have hyper fixations on uh different worlds uh you could have certain crushes but it's it's that uh addiction and it's that those feel-good chemicals that we just get rushed by with uh, daydreaming so you get a dopamine rush from the daydreaming um let's see there was there were there was a certain wild minds uh blog post that somebody um mentioned me before and they sent me a link where somebody actually got a uh, brain scan that was kind of test showing that. And according to the brain scan, they were showing that uh, the same parts of their brain were lighting up like an addict's were. And um, like, which is very common with certain people who have addiction. It's um, it, it just, it's just the addiction brain, uh, the addictive, uh, addicted brain kind of just pumps your brain full of all these reward chemicals and things whenever you kind of get whatever you're addicted to. And that's, that seems to be the case for maladaptive daydreamers, but, uh, we definitely need more uh, research when it comes into that kind of. I do have a question about that. Um, is there a trigger for developing this? Like, is there is it just purely genetic, or is there a stressor like trauma that causes someone to develop, or does it kind of just happen? I would say that I'm. I don't know if maladaptive daydreamers. It's all maladaptive daydreamers have experienced something traumatic in their life that could have led them to to maladaptive daydream 
But from what I read about Maladaptive Daydream, yes, um, there are certain events in people's lives that lead them to do things. There's a reason for everything, I guess. And there are reasons for maladaptive daydreaming. In my personal experience, some of the events in my life that have triggered me to start daydreaming and daydream more were the times that I was bullied, my toxic, my former, my past toxic relationship, and uh, um, this 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 whole pandemic, honestly, because I felt really lonely. So I created this world, which is called the Paracosm to help me I wouldn't call it help but I guess that's the best term I have as of now to help me alleviate some of the loneliness that I have because I couldn't see my friends I couldn't see some family members I really wanted to see can we do a quick straw poll like so we have four maladaptive daydreamers here and more if you count the silent audience real quick straw poll um, what do you what do you think caused you to develop maladaptive daydreaming? In, in like one word. Uh, oh, one word. Oh, that's tough. Um, I would say uh, <laughs> loneliness. Coping. I would say that um, if I could put a dash, I'm so sorry. If I could put a dash, it would be illusory loneliness because, in all honesty, I have really good friends. I have a really good family that that cares for me. But there are just really times I feel really lonely that I feel like I couldn't express emotions because they felt so wrong. So I would say that it's illusory loneliness. But if it's just really one word, then loneliness. What about you, Levi? You got one word? Uh, for me, it's really difficult to put like one word to it. But I agree with Rainy a lot. Uh, on the loneliness aspect, I think especially when when you grow up as a kid, you know, uh, you kind of you you want attention, and then you don't get attention, and then you kind of develop this inner world where you know you can you can get whatever you want and stuff like that. So I I do agree with that as well. Uh, so from me, I guess also loneliness, but I think there were a bunch of stuff that added to it though. I think a word that could um summarize i guess but levi am i pronouncing that right i'm so sorry said yes <laughs> um i think i think desire because we all desire a lot of things we, it could be fame money um love company and you know in dreams you could get you could imagine that you get all of that and like what what halo said it becomes so addictive because you get you get to imagine that you you experience this world where you have control where you get what you want that you get where you get what you desire i guess so levi said like as a child you daydream and you can have like whatever you want and it's like you create your own world so would like a similar type thing be someone who reads a lot be getting like sucked into the world of the books would that be like almost like a parallel in and away or like how would you compare those in some ways uh it's different uh for different people um some people make their own original world some people some people don't they kind of uh go on of pre-existing uh worlds that like on television or movies or books or other things some people don't uh daydream in worlds at all and they daydream in 
TV clips or in interviews or with um, just the same character that they're imagining over and over and over in different scenarios. Um, it's it's amazing to I've talked to a lot of people now on voice chat. It's it's amazing to to hear how many different ways people are daydreaming. Um, like another person only daydreams in music videos. So um, it it's hard to put a specific label on it when so many different it can manifest its way in so many different ways. Yeah, I agree with Halo. I have a question about distinguishing from maladaptive daydreaming to regular daydreaming. So looking up while y'all have been talking, like the symptoms and things that diagnose you for having maladaptive daydreaming. So like I do all of those. So how do you define the line between just what's considered normal daydreaming and what's too much daydreaming? Because like the same stressors and triggers that you guys have all mentioned for why you think it developed. Like, so I have BPD, so trauma as a childhood, neglect, abandonment, that loneliness and desire to not be alone. So I do daydream a lot and have like, but I also enjoy writing. So I write a lot of fantasy. So how do you distinguish what would be considered this disorder versus what's considered normal daydreaming? I think I'm going to refer to what Halo said when it becomes a real addiction-ish. Like, it really is an addiction for some people. I personally would call no, it an addiction. because, you know, people with addictions don't always know that they have a problem. It's like, how would you be able to know when it is a, the problem? Um, well, first, the um, there's the regular daydreaming compared to immersive daydreaming. Um, generally, immersive daydreaming is deeper, and um, many of us either have repetitive movements, where uh, pacing or twirling certain items or certain kind of repetitive movement, often also with music, to help uh, go into almost like a trance-like state sometimes, to go into incredibly deep daydreams. And, um, and sometimes some of us do it for hours at a time, and that's, that's usually the difference between regular daydreaming and kind of immersive daydreaming. And when it becomes maladaptive, it's, it's hard to put a specific label on it because it's different depending on the person. Um, some people, it's it's usually you could tell when it starts interfering with their lives, like, oh, I, I need to finish my work that I've been putting off for two weeks, but I can't stop daydreaming and I've just daydreamed another three to five hours. Or I haven't seen my friends in weeks and they're saying I should go over to talk to them and stuff and I want to, but I'm busy daydreaming my life away for uh, uh, instead. Um, it's it, it becomes whenever it starts really interfering with uh, the person's life is generally um, how it's kind of diagnosed when it becomes maladaptive. And at some point, it's like you know you're daydreaming, but then, as as Halo said, you 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 give yourself. I w I would say it's a kind of false incentive ish because again, it it becomes an obstacle to daily to daily uh, tasks. Um, one other thing is feeling. It's more an immersive daydreaming, but based on my experience and maybe some others, um, you can feel your daydreams in some way. Uh, like you can do certain actions because they like they like your daydreams make you feel a certain way. Such as me, I I suddenly I could suddenly laugh out of the blue because I maladaptive daydreamed in my room. Because it makes me feel a certain something. It makes it feels real. It feels really real at some point. You know it's not real, but then 
you feel it's real and it makes you happy. So that makes me think of the movie Inception, but the difference is Inception is like they're actually asleep and dreaming. Um, the thing that made me think of that is just like the it. So what you guys have said is that maladaptive daydreaming can feel like so real that you're like hazy between what's actually real and what's like the dream. And the think of like um, Inception where they have to have like the weighted totem to know when they're dreaming versus they're in the real world is do you guys feel like sometimes you need something to be like oh wait I'm not daydreaming anymore or like how does that work um for me I suppose it's when someone calls or when I suddenly um receive an email especially if it's if it's like really important and I'm suddenly like oh shoot I have something to do Oh shoot! I have this event to do because um, I would say that my mm, sort of way of channeling my daydreams or experiencing my daydreams is through music. So I dance a lot in my room, um, protect pretending that the music is some kind of background music to a movie for my daydream. So when I get a call or I get the notification and then I realize, oh, shoot, I got something to do. That's how I snap out of the daydream when I'm too immersed in it. Because, yeah, I get really immersed a lot and that stops, I guess. Um, let's see. And when it, when it talks about immersive, sometimes when I'm daydreaming, I get so involved into it, I would uh, like pace around in my room. I would usually pace whenever it was in a really deep daydream. And I would get uh, so involved in it that everything around me would kind of almost fade to black. I wouldn't notice a lot of things around me generally. And uh, and it, you can get so involved in it. I would always, I could tell the difference between reality and what in, what's going on, whether it's daydream or reality. Um, that's usually not a problem for the vast majority of maladaptive daydreamers. Though some people um, also daydream things about their real lives. Uh, which which I didn't like. I had like necromancers and other kind of worlds and other things. It'd be hard to you know logically confuse the two. But I I have heard that some people that daydream and about their real life scenarios, their own families. Like they'll like at night sometimes they'll daydream about what happened during the day and uh, have more positive spin on it. Like that everybody liked what they said or they try to think of all the things they regretted saying and they would change it to be to fit how they wanted it to be more and who they wanted to be. Um, I know that some people, if they do that, sometimes they could get confused as to what happened in the daydream, certain details of what happened in there um, and what happened in reality. But that's usually for a specific type of MDR. Yeah, I, I do want to butt in and just say that the difference between daydreaming and reality is dark and impossible to confuse. What Once in a while, what Halo said will happen, well, you'll be like, Oh, did I actually tell her that, or did I daydream? Um, but it it shouldn't be any more um, any more common than confusing a night dream with you know did I really say that or did I dream that? If it is more common than that, then there's probably something else besides MD happening um, because we don't we don't confuse the two. The, the difference is incredible. Yeah, we don't uh we we don't experience psychosis is the the main point i hope this doesn't sound rude but i feel like 
all y'all would be fun to play D&D with. Some imaginative stuff going on over there. I do have a question, because I don't feel like I've heard anything mentioned about this. How does this disorder affect, like, interpersonal relationships? So, like, a significant other or family that you live with or, like, I guess, close friends? Because since this seems to take a huge chunk away from interacting with others around you, how does it affect relationships? For one, um, I, I'm, I'm with my family at home. My room is not is not soundproof. Again, there are times wherein I talk to myself or laugh to myself because of like a happy thought and then they, and then they 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 just question like why are you talking to yourself and all. And then um, for friends, I guess that um, it's more on characters and paracosms. I don't like to admit it that much, but. Um, there are times wherein I feel kind of sad and guilty that my friends become Paris sometimes in my paracosm because it's I feel like I'm taking some kind of some kind of action without their permission because they're their, they're their characters so it's not I don't feel like it's morally include them in the paracosm without their knowledge. And I've tried to tell them, like, hey, um, I hate to admit this, but uh, your character becomes part of my paracosm. So, yeah. It, but then it's so hard to explain at the same time because they don't have MD. And it's kind of hard to say because you've already done it. You're not asking permission. You're just saying you're admitting something. And I hope to tell them one day, maybe they'll learn about this from the podcast. If my friends are watching this, I'm so sorry. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. It's um, different people, as you know, different mental illness have a lot of stigma around them. And uh, I, I've only told mostly certain people on the Internet because my uh, family, a lot of them generally don't like respect depression or other mental illnesses in general. And if I told them, oh, I uh, daydream uh, in various worlds and I pace around and it's messing me up, this and that, they would honestly they would honestly just think, oh, that must be some kind of dangerous form of something like schizophrenia, and they would kind of uh, freak out, this and that. So I generally don't tell about people, yeah, I generally don't tell people in real life because of that, um, because of the people that are around me. Um, I think it'd be nice if I was around people with that were a little more understanding, but it's just, uh, I guess, just, those aren't the cards that I was dealt. So it, it kind of, yeah, that's generally been my experience. I do hope that people like who are in situations like Halo do get to, you know, put out their feelings and experiences in a safe environment. I really do hope for, those, for that to happen. And uh, I hope that one day that you get a safer environment or your family becomes more open to mental health Halo. Oh, thanks. My, yeah, my experience has been um, more from the outside, more from the little things. Up. You know, I, um, I can't be trusted because I forget everything because I'm only ever half listening. It adds up in, in weird ways. Like, this is my, like, my anecdote, the pizza incident. 
So I'm, I'm like on the couch, my husband comes in, he says, I'm going to make some pizza, but I'm going to put it in the microwave. I'm not using the pizza stone. And I talked to him. I was like, oh yeah, okay. That sounds good. Hey, give me a kiss. He gives me a kiss. Mm. And he, and he goes and he comes back like two minutes later with a slice of pizza for me. And I was like, why didn't you use the pizza stone? And he lost his goddamn mind because it wasn't just that it was the years of me not listening to what he was saying and you know just just coming off like like a partner who didn't respect or care about him and 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 that that was just like the breaking point he was just like are you and it turned into a huge fight and that's that's kind of and and other things like um because i'm so forgetful you know i come off as as someone who's unreliable, that's not who I want to be and who I want to be seen as. And, and it adds up, like, financially. Um, all the late fees from forgetting appointments and no call, no showing my doctor. My son's dentist almost dropped us as a patient because I did it so many times, which, you know, adds stress in my, in my marriage because my husband's like, why can't you remember anything I texted you this morning we talked about it this afternoon you wrote it on the calendar and you still didn't show up what else could we possibly do you know and, and it adds it adds stress to interpersonal relationships in that way as well for me that sounds a lot like adhd that's that's another point um md is uh incredibly comorbid with certain disorders a lot of us have adhd or uh, social anxiety depression um, some have OCD. Um, MD is comorbid with so many that many of us are also dealing with uh, other, having to deal with other disorders as well. So it's kind of, at some point for a lot of us, hard to tell what um, issues are from the, from the maladaptive daydreaming and which are from the, um, all of the other disorder friends that come, kind of comes along with it. Um, like I also have severe uh, procrastination issues um, all, all my life. Um, and the various other issues, and it's hard for me to exactly decide which is which is coming from which. Does MD get misdiagnosed as anything else often, or is it generally pretty easy to diagnose versus misdiagnosing? There's um, there's a researcher right now, maladaptive daydreaming researcher, and it's not published yet. But the like hypothesis she's working on is that. ADHD might not actually be as comorbid as we think it is. It might actually be that some of the symptoms of MD, like like you just said, that sounds like ADHD, that we sound so much like ADHD that we get misdiagnosed a lot as ADHD. I, I, I feel like just it's the forgetfulness that sounds like ADHD because with ADHD, like, I'm thinking of like the ADHD screening stuff. It would only fit the inattentive stuff, not the hyperactive stuff, I feel. But I'm wondering like how often it gets mixed diagnosed as ADHD inattentive type. Um yeah, might. We're waiting for that paper to be published. <laughs> I want to see so bad. Um, a lot of us also are daydreaming, uh, for example, like whenever we're talking with people or whenever we're supposed to be working or driving or doing schoolwork. So a lot of times, a lot of us um, don't have the uh, memory or attention because part of us sometimes are always busy daydreaming in the back of our minds. 
Um, now, this isn't everybody, but many of us are constantly daydreaming while we're doing everything else. And that it's, oh, we forgot this because we're also daydreaming. We, we uh, can't remember such doing such and such because we were daydreaming at the same time. And that kind of, you're always almost like living two lives for some of us is uh, sometimes you forget what goes on in the other, in your real life. That sounds stressful. In uh, the new DSM-5, uh, they're taking out MD. Like, how do you guys feel about them taking away it as something in the manual? Does it not bother or affect you? Um, I'm on Healthline, and it actually, like, this is on my screen. And it says, this disorder is not part of the new edition of the Diagnostic and Statistics Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That's DSM-V. Um, and it apparently doesn't have any official treatments. Box was trying to like ask, how does it like, does it feel invalidating to not be on the DSMV or? It was only discussed. Somer only first made a the earliest paper about mild adaptive daydreaming in two thousand two, and then it kind of sat in a in his and it was kind of mostly ignored and not many people paid much attention to it, and it kind of went uh, pretty much untalked about for years after that. And it wasn't only until like around the last decade or so that uh, they started getting more activity, started doing more studies on it, started pushing for it. Still relatively new. So part of me is still hopeful that it'll be considered a disorder as uh, more research is done on it, uh, at least personally. Uh, I, I have the same opinion as Halo, but I do also wish that they, they would um, find some sort of quote-unquote treat MD with no chemical, not, I wouldn't call it chemical, but medicinal cure yet. If there's no medicinal cure yet, I hope that they find ways to um, help MD regulate MD because um, MD can get really severe and again, they can, it can lead to other disorders. Yeah, MD can lead to many more things and Hopefully, it'll get recognized as something that should be treated as soon as possible, so as all disorders are or regulated. I um yeah, like Kayla was saying, it's still so new um that that it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel invalidating because it's not malicious. It's a bunch of psychologists sitting around going, oh, this needs a lot more research. Like maybe it will be listed someday. We're just not there yet. We just, it needs so much more study to even be considered for it. Since it's so new, is it hard to find a therapist or psychologist that could accurately diagnose someone with this? If someone had suspicions or unsure of what was wrong with them and they went and just talked to any therapist, would any old therapist be informed and knowledgeable on this topic, or is it going to be a pretty slim field of professions who know about it and would be able to accurately diagnose someone? Um, as far as I've been to therapy in the past when I was little, and um, as far as understanding goes, um, to get to get uh, what they were kind of intended for the question, a lot of therapists, psychiatrists, everybody else, a lot of people just don't know about it. Uh, don't know about it yet because it's not in the DSM. They're, they haven't been trained for it, and um, and depending on a lot of people have been talking here and in other and in other spaces, um, a lot of 
uh, sometimes people are misdiagnosed as uh, as various other things, or uh, because they just don't they just don't know about maladaptive daydreaming. And it's very common for people to have to bring it up to um, whoever they're talking to to try and kind of explain their experiences because it's it's not talked about as much yet. Are there meds that you have to go on, or like, do they recommend any meds that like help you stay more grounded and out of your thoughts, or do you just have to really work on focusing in the real world? No, no medication. Um, they actually recommend therapy. Uh, specifically mindfulness and logging. Oh, so like some DPT, DVD skills? Um, that yeah, like CBT, DVT, yeah. Um, they did do a study on medications, but the problem with them is um, that they, they're really hit or miss. And because you can't be diagnosed with MD, they have to give you the medication for a different diagnosis. So let's say uh, they diagnose you with ADHD and they gave you medicine for that. It's kind of 50-50 if that medicine is going to make the daydreaming better or make it a lot worse. There's um, a case study, a guy named Ben, I think, at least that was his name in the study, where uh, he got diagnosed with ADHD when he told them about the daydreaming because they thought the same thing, ADHD and attentive, and it, it made it so much more worse. So um, there was also another study that was done on, uh, I'm not sure if, if it's the same one that Demir is talking about, but they tested a variety of substances as well as medications. And uh, one seemed to work somewhat, but I think the rest of them all were just not good they tested like uh, cbd thc all that type of stuff as well but yeah i can't remember the the medication that actually did well i wasn't it the adhd stuff i, I think it was remember. actually an ocd medication ocd okay yeah yeah i'm just wondering like how the medications for adhd would negatively affect someone with md because like like you see there's definitely studies on people who don't have ADHD taking ADHD meds because that's like an issue with non-prescribed meds. Like people taking the meds that aren't their prescription. So like how often do, I'm just wondering how often do people with MD get screwed? Do they get screwed over by just being given meds for the wrong thing? It's hard to tell. I, I don't think that we know, to be honest. And um, also, I've also, there's certain people with, um, there are also some people with ADHD. I've just heard just um, just on voice chat, some people mentioning that they took ADHD medication and instead it just um, made them, it just gave them the ability to hyper fixate on their um, daydream world even more, which they said was kind of ironic. <laughs> it kind of just helped their focus to do something uh, rather unhealthy still. Um, I think that's because, um, from what I know from ADHD, I don't, I'm not diagnosed with ADHD. Um, uh, from what I know, I think the reason is that because uh, the medications of ADHD, I think that they help 
whoever's taking it to focus more because ADHD, from what I know, leads people to like not focus on stuff. Um, Actually, I know what I can tell you about which um, neurotransmitters they work on. Mm-hmm. Um, most ADHD meds are amphetamines, so they like directly increase norepinephrine and dopamine. Um, dopamine is the neurotransmitter that you get when you're like, that's like the happy rush type thing, like when you're giving your brain what it wants. Um, and usually they aren't sure exactly for ADHD, but it's typically like the dopamine increase helps focus because you're not um, craving as much of it in a sense. Like for me, like if I'm distracted and not doing my work, it's because I have no motivation to do it. And with the meds, it's easier to force myself to do it, but it's still like a lot about like forcing yourself to do it. But like if someone has a healthy amount of dopamine, giving them more dopamine could potentially just do the opposite. (laughs) So like it's quite interesting. That could explain why, like, people who do um, do like maladaptive daydreaming on ADHD meds hyperfocus on the daydreaming because they now have the do- the dopamine and norepinephrine to focus, but they still want more dopamine, so they're gonna focus on what gives them like happy feelings. Yeah, that could be. That's yeah, that's uh, an interesting thought. I hope that we have more studies to look into that and other things to finally um, get a better drug cocktail that kind of works to help uh, maladaptive daydreamers. Yeah, the frustrating part is that there are no brain scans of us yet. I mean, I know Halo talked about one earlier, but that was that was never published. It was never replicated, so we can't be sure. Another question. Probably steering off of the med side of everything. So do people with maladaptive daydreaming, are they generally going to be, like, more creative? Or would you all think that any of you are, like, creative in the sense when when it comes to, like, music or writing and stuff like that? Do you guys enjoy more creative things where you're making those worlds that you make in your head into um, something that someone else could see or view? I think it's um, dependent on on the person because um, personally, for me, I wouldn't say that completely boosts creativity because at the, as of now, I'm stuck in the same daydream. When you get when I get attached to a daydream, personally, I keep repeating it and repeating it until I find a new idea. And then um, for me, I don't really get more ideas. It's just that I have a more detailed version of one idea that keeps in my head. Um, I, I couldn't really put a, put a number on, or it's hard for me to compare the um, average maladaptive daydreamer compared to somebody in the average population. Um, but I know a lot of the people in this community are also doing things in art or music or um, in various drawing, animation, uh, writing is a big one. So it, it's... I see a lot of people are doing various things. Um, so some people might have the theory that it might help because many of us are able to, are constantly practicing head hopping in our daydreams or 
uh, vivid visualizations or being able to empathize with certain other uh, characters constantly. So that might help, but again, that's uh, that's just a theory. And um, I know Dimmer might jump in and say, oh, I'm not creative at all, but they're also doing a podcast, YouTube channel, they do painting, art, and all this other stuff. So I, I don't know. Pretty creative. It's, pretty creative right there. Yeah, so I don't know. I think it's hard to tell. Um, so there's actually a study, this is funny, that, um, that showed that it, it studied regular daydreamers, immersive daydreamers, and maladaptive daydreamers. And maladaptive daydreamers of the three were the least creative. But they did add that that's because of how they measured creativity. They measured it by output. And the problem with maladaptive daydreamers is that even if they have a lot of really good ideas, they don't translate them to the real world. I completely agree with that. I completely relate with that. I'm a hot pad writer. And, uh, I have this one-shot book, and they're all romantic scenarios, and I maladaptive daydream about my crush and I, my fictional crushes and I. There are so many romantic scenarios that I could just put in that book. But then when it comes to writing, I, I suddenly get tired and then go back to daydreaming without putting anything on the draft, and then I get the draft done in like a month, a whole month. Yeah, I really think it depends on what kind of person you are, not just what kind of maladaptive daydreamer you are. Like, I think you have to be already creatively inclined to make maladaptive daydreaming help you in that way at all. And and then there's, like Halo had alluded to, like at the beginning of this, there are just so many ways to daydream. Some people just daydream the same thing over and over and over again, and they're never going to... It's, it's not really going to inspire anything, anything new. And, um, and then some of us are like world builders who build these like Tolkien type things. And those are the ones I want to play D&D with. Yeah, honestly. Uh, there are time, I, I have this world built in my, in my paracosmos, in my world. But then again, it's so personal and I'm so attached to it to the point that I just can't write it or put it in some kind of like comic or animation that isn't my character. I, I just can't imagine any more characters in that situation other than my characters. Yeah, you know, I really think that like artistic MDers are unicorns. Like you have to be that combination of, um, of, of artistically inclined and be the type of daydreamer uh, who can sort of generate their own internal inspiration and <laughs> not everybody's like that like um like i i'm i'm like a i'm like a tolkien daydreamer i'm a world builder um yeah, i have a big original like universe with a bunch of original characters and stuff and there is absolutely no way for me to translate that into the real world Same. <laughs> unless yeah the only way i would be able to do it is if I dedicated my studies and career to being um, to being a writer, I like I I would need to to hone that skill to be able to translate my daydreams in any way that would be recognizable or readable to anybody else because daydreams don't unfold like like proper stories um, fit for an audience. And I just I just don't want to. I don't I don't want to dedicate my life to writing. I'm not a writer. 
there are um, also people, I, I feel like we touched upon this a bit earlier, but it's also worth mentioning that there are people who don't have paracosms and who don't have characters in their daydreams at all. Uh, some people daydream about, uh, I don't know, I think Dimmer once mentioned someone who who sort of daydreamed about the way that, uh, uh, what's it called, architecture or like buildings would develop over time and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it really depends on the person. And uh, some of our daydreams are inspired by movies, sometimes by real life events. Sometimes we make it up spontaneously. So, yeah, it's it's a very person to person situation. That being said, I do want to add that, as mentioned before, there's no official treatment protocol for maladaptive daydreaming. So we're all just kind of shotgunning it like <laughs> trying to find out trying a bunch of different things and seeing what sticks and and a lot of people land on creativity um as, as a way to treat their maladaptive daydreaming um they pour their efforts into productively and creatively expressing their daydreams um let's see just to just to kind of my general go-to summary is that um, in my opinion, a lot of maladaptive daydreamers daydream for different reasons, and each of them have a different kind of void. Around 25%, according to a certain study, of maladaptive daydreamers have trauma as some reason, or some other people daydream because of boredom, or social anxiety, social isolation, or they have a romantic partner that they kind of daydream that they were wish that they were with in some kind of relationship like that. So I, I think that it's I think that cre the creative arts can often help because it can kind of fill that void of boredom or uh, this or that sometimes. I think that's one of the ways that can kind of um, fill that void or fill that need that um, many of them were using daydream, uh, daydreaming as kind of like a crutch. So yeah, I think that could definitely help a lot of people. Yeah, personally, I'm doing an um, animation mod for a video game right now. Um, I'm also trying to write a book in my spare time based off of uh, one of my daydream worlds. Um, a couple of times on voice chat, I, I talked, I, I kind of spoke out loud the plot and stuff over about one of my daydream worlds for about, I think, hour and a half at a time. And everybody seemed to really enjoy it so far. So I'm starting to work on that, um, trying to write it in a novel form. Um, I might also do a comic. I've been doing a lot of uh, pixel art and pixel art animations for that video game mod and other works. So I might make one into a comic, into a pixel art form. Um, let's see, I do Discord for various servers, uh, other kind of graphic design. I'm trying to teach myself other things. I used to sing before I had a vocal injury. Um, I, I used to help like local political scenes and do public speaking there. So I think I'm, I think I'm overall a fairly creative person, and I think that it's actually helped me, uh, help me and stuff. Is MD curable? So like. If like, or is it something that you'll just always have to manage? Therapy, just therapy. There's no cure yet. Yeah, uh, define cure, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. All people with mental health waiting for that one. Um, it could definitely be managed for different people, though. Um, like some people are able to still have uh, maladaptive daydreaming and are still able to live kind of happy and productive lives. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's limiting how much you're daydreaming each day or trying to find more organizational habits to be able to finish certain things. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the person or filling the void. Like if it's, if you're daydreaming constantly about 
about missing out on social activities and having that loneliness. Sometimes it's as simple as for some people to talk more on voice chat or meet more people in real life, trying to get out more. Sometimes, sometimes that can filling in whatever kind of void you have sometimes helps people. So I think it, it kind of depends on the person. Um, I, I, that'd be my best explanation. It's one of those weird things where like, um, it's a, it's a behavioral addiction, right? So, so with, with other addictions, like with a physical addiction, you can put down a pack of cigarettes and never smoke again. It's hard, but you can do it, but you can never not daydream. It is a normal function of the human mind. So we're always going to be daydreamers. There's only a, a certain point that we can go to. There's only a certain point we should go to. Um, anybody, just a PSA, anybody out there who wanted to never daydream again, please don't do that. It's unhealthy. Um, I, I, think, I think like overeating is a good way to describe it. If, if you're an overeater, you can never not eat. You need to fuel your body. But you can cure, in a sense, your relationship with food and i think we're kind of going for the same thing we want to cure our relationship with this immersion in daydreaming i keep nodding and forgetting that you guys can't see me (laughs) (laughs) yeah we i'm just like yep i'm I'm nodding along listening yes i don't have any other questions but now i'm legit questioning like hmm do i have this do I do literally everything they keep saying, not focusing on the conversation while y'all are talking and <laughs> literally daydreaming while y'all talking? Like, because I literally have issues with that though, but I just figured that was part of trauma, PTSD, and uh, the BPD thing to never be present when people are talking to me. Craig, you absolute bitch. Oh. Damn, not even a warning. <laughs> that huh? was such a good outro too. The dude just um, dipped. Uh, it didn't it didn't catch like a good portion of it. Yeah, I'll just redo it. So where do I find the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Zimmer. It's okay. Okay, before we lose Craig again, just do the canned the canned outro. All right. Uh yeah, so sorry, we don't know how, how much actually cut off there, but for the most part, I think it's fine. Uh, but yeah, that does it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please feel free to subscribe on our YouTube channel. It's Parallel Lives. We're on Spotify and on other platforms as well that will probably be linked in the description. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to be part of the of the podcast, if you'd like to sit in as part of the audience to ask questions, or if you would like to appear on the podcast as a guest, Please feel free to join the Discord server and assign yourself the podcast role and then you will get pinged whenever we are looking for guests or when we're recording. So yeah, that does it from us. Thanks so much for listening, for the support. We appreciate it. Goodbye. <laughs> that was perfect. Yay! Yeah. Best Yay. outro we've ever done. I like the <laughs> end, just goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I kind of ran out of stuff to say and I was like, what do I do? Okay, bye. <laughs> I learned things. Now I have to go learn more things. Enjoy because it's a it's a rabbit hole, so 